<clears throat> I have not seen a group like this for a while. Something drop? Oh. Waiting for the other shoe. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to First or First Corinthians, Genesis chapter fifteen. <clears throat> no, it that was just really fun to see so many folks in here, Amen. and so many that I'm related to <laughs> by marriage. Just by <laughs> praise God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, there, there are not words that do a good enough job to express our gratitude as we consider um, all that has taken place throughout history that you might preserve your word for us today. So, Lord, I pray that deep in our hearts, as you search them, you see Father, we have an ever-growing thankfulness for the holy, precious Word of God. And I pray, Father, that as we spend some time in a few verses thinking and just contemplating this passage, even in this moment, Lord God, in this time of, of hearing from your Word, studying, God, you would enrich us and help us to grow in our knowledge of you, which grows in our love for you. So, Father, speak to us through your word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Pam, could I trouble you to grab me a glass of water? I can already tell things are getting dry. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's interesting that when we consider this, the, the thought process or the concept or the category of actually knowing somebody, the reason you know somebody is because they kindly let you know them. It's tough to get to know somebody that has no intent of you getting to know them, doesn't want you to know them. So when you talk to them, they, they don't answer your questions or they shine you on a little bit and 
just give you these very fast answers. You know, it's the classic, how are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Oh, the challenges are many, but the Lord is good. It's a nice Christian way of saying, I don't want to talk to you right now. <clears throat> the way we develop our relationships, our friendships, is because people allow themselves to be known to other people. I want us to start on this platform before we move into the rest of this passage. And this is a platform that obviously has been there since creation, but it's one that I wonder if we take for granted in the Bible sometimes. God of the universe, the God of the universe, the great and glorious King who created all things and is sovereign over all things, has let himself be known. Because he has communicated, as we, as we have seen, he has communicated, and he will communicate directly to Abraham. Why does Abraham know God? Because Abraham is better than us, better than other people, stronger, pursued God better? No, I think as you search out the life of Abram, you will see consistently God kindly let himself be known. He pursued Abram. He let Abram know what he was like. He he revealed himself to Abram. There's two kinds of, uh, as you look at different systematic theology books and kind of church history and theology in general, two kinds of ways God reveals himself, and they kind of break it down to two categories. And I realize it's a little bit overly simplistic, but it's helpful to get a couple handles. Number one is the general revelation of God. The other one is the the special revelation of God. General revelation would be how the Lord reveals himself through that which he has made, and and, and also reveals himself through history. So as you look at creation, you can see the intricacy, you can see the power, you can see the glory, I would say, of what God has made. As you look at the vast universe and all the constellations and all that, you look at that and say, there is not a chance that that happened by chance. (laughs) That was absolutely God's doing. Look at the vastness, but then boil that down to the absolute intricacy of the fingerprint and all the different fingerprints here. Have you ever been fingerprinted? Don't answer that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The one one brother I would think wasn't, was, okay. But the difference in our fingerprints. So you look at the glorious universe, you look at the fingerprints of individuals, and you go, our God is absolutely amazing. And the world can look at that and see him generally reveal himself. But then you have special revelation, where God specifically comes and reveals himself. As he came and spoke and walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, as he comes here to Abram and speaks directly to him, as he comes to the prophet and tells the prophet, go to the, my people, Israel and Judah, and reveal my message to them. And then the most glorious revelation of God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he comes and is the manifestation, the revelation of God to us. God in many ways and at many times spoke, but now he speaks to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 1. God has let himself be known to people, and he doesn't have to. I want that to be the platform for this study and the next couple weeks, uh, specifically as we look at this 
covenant he makes with Abram, God doesn't have to do this. That's the part that keeps ringing out of the text and and coming to my mind as I study and think through some of the details is this overarching principle, God didn't have to do this. There's no forcing him. Nobody told God what to do. He doesn't answer to anybody. And yet in his kindness and grace, he decides, I will let myself be known. And I will enter into this promise with Abram. Guys, what I want to do is, next week I want to think a little bit more intently on the covenant he makes with Abram. Today, I want to spend a little bit more time on the concept of God and his personal relationship with Abram. So verses 1 to 6 is kind of like a, he does restate his promise to him. But more than that, there's a fresh encouragement to Abram here. And that's what I want to to kind of unload from this passage. So first, just the fact that God speaks to Abram. Look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, these things, if you recall in chapter 14, there were a lot of kings with a lot of strange names that were all battling and coming together. And eventually they went and they took Sodom and Gomorrah and they captured Lot. After that, Abram got together a a number of his servants, and they went, and by night they divided, they took those kings out, they rescued Lot, and they brought him back. As they were bringing him back, they were met by the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Melchizedek refreshed them with food and then called down a blessing on Abram. But I want you to notice this last little portion of chapter 14 before we jump into 15. Look at verse 22. But Abram said to the... uh, Let me back up. 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that's yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing... But what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me. Let Asher, Eschol, and Mamre take their share. So here's Abram, who's offered much of the spoils of his endeavor, his task, leading this group to go and combat. And then when it's offered to him, his response is, I've already made a promise with the Lord. I've made a, a, an oath with him that, no, I won't take that. I don't want anything you would give me. I want the Lord to be my all. I want him to be the one that fulfills his promise to me. So I don't want a thread of any of that stuff that you're offering to me, which is a bold move, which is a humble move, and which is a dependent move. You imagine if somebody said, I have a gift for you, and they offer you $350,000, and I say, I just want to give this to you, and you actually say, that is one of the kindest things someone's ever offered to me, Um, but I want to be more dependent on the Lord than that, and so I would rather not. Now, I know folks would argue, maybe that's the way the Lord's providing, (laughs) but I don't know. But it would be such an interesting thought process and reminder to you of your dependency on the Lord when you have the opportunity to be given that and you turn it down with a desire to be living dependent upon God. Well, that's where we're left off with Abram. And Abram is not just saying, some God somewhere. Remember, he's already been promised, right? That I will be given a son. 
My name will be made great. A nation will be coming from me. That's all been promised to him back in chapter 12. He's banking on that. So God's word, special revelation given to this man. Please remember this principle. It's a fairly simple one to recall. The time after victory can be an extremely vulnerable time. The, the, the time after victory can be an extremely vulnerable time. Because we can be filled with many different things. We can be filled with arrogance. I was victorious. We can be filled with fear. Now I have so far to fall. Many different things can come and fill that spot, but five minutes after victory is a very dangerous place, especially for a fallen sinful man. And so what is, as the Lord comes to him, look down at chapter 15, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, I don't know exactly if this was when he was going to sleep, if he was actually caught in some sort of a vision while awake. It doesn't give me the details. It doesn't say, like it does say in some other portions of Scripture, as he went to sleep or as he was laying, a vision came. It just simply says, God came to him in a vision. And I'm not, I'm not going to um, waste too much time or lose too much sleep trying to figure out exactly what that looked like because the point of the text is very clear. God communicated to man. God came to Abram in a vision to reveal to him truth. Abram knew it was God and had no question about it. But again, beloved, please don't forget that point. He doesn't have to do this. God doesn't owe Abram. God God is not, uh, there's no sovereign over the sovereign. But out of his kindness, his grace, his tenderness, his sovereign mercy, he comes to Abram and speaks to him. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And if you notice, isn't it fascinating, the first, word he, the first statement he makes, fear not. Now, I don't believe, I'm not convinced that he's saying that because Abram is fearful of the vision itself. And the reason I believe that is because God gives himself as the foundation of swallowing up the fear. So what that indicates to me is that there's some sort of fear brewing in the mind and heart of Abram. And lots of folks kind of run amok, if you will, after what these fears could potentially be. What is going on in the heart of this man? One, one person said, he's been victorious, but he's fearful of the kings coming back together and then coming after him because he's in a formidable opponent now. Maybe. Then there's the fear that, that specifically uh, he, he does not believe God's going to satisfy his promise. I, I think that's more likely because of the whole context and what unfolds here. But regardless, there's a reason God says, fear not. Circumstances seem to contradict God's word at times. Let me explain. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, all translations say 
shield, as far as I could find. There is a textual variant here where some translations say, and your great reward, as opposed to your great reward will be great, or your reward will be great. And so the question is, is the text saying that God is the reward or God is the giver of the reward? And you can look at different translations and you go, hmm, well, it's because it's, it's tricky to, to actually translate. But let me ask you this, and this is kind of where I just, no duh, kind of a moment where I settled my mind. Is God the giver of the reward or is he the reward? Starts with a Y. Of course he's the reward. And of course he's the rewarder. Now, I lean a little bit on to the ESV translation that your reward will be very great because the very next question out of his mouth is, what's my reward? But I'm not fighting about that because theologically, biblically, I think he is my reward and I think he's a giver of my reward because he's the one who decided to give himself unto me. So, let's follow along if you would. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Beloved, if there were ever a verse to, to, to get clear and memorized in our mind, there's one for you. Don't be afraid. God's your shield. God is your shield. Will I suffer? You might, but he's still your shield. Will I be victorious? You might, but he's still your shield. See, the circumstances don't alter the fact, don't alter the truth. He's still your shield. God is still the one who is the protector, the garter. Doesn't it make sense that before Abraham says, listen, listen, king, I, I know you're trying to give me some of these goods because I was the one battling. I don't want what you're giving me. I want what God's promised to me. I want to be dependent upon him. See, Abram is growing in his understanding and recognizing God is my shield. Now, the tricky part is that chapter 16, we're going to see that he still doesn't trust God fully, still wrestling, just like the rest of us. But he is maturing. He is growing in his understanding and knowledge. Abraham says, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Now, I want to look at the, that Abram's response here, guys. It's very interesting to me. Verse 3, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, here's where I want us to be very careful, because at times, we who have, you know, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament, we can read it, we can study it, we can think carefully about it, and we have the whole bird's eye view. But put yourself in Abram's sandals for just a second and think about this. Abram, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. From you, this is going to be glorious. I will bless you. From you and Sarah. So leave home. Come to a land I'll show you. I'm not going to give you any of it. You're not going to be a dad for quite some time. But you will walk in obedience to the promise, though the circumstances don't seem to show that the promise is going to come to fruition. And so Abraham starts going. Guys, how faithful are you at times? Let me rephrase that. How unfaithful are you at times? And so I don't want to, I don't want to pounce on Abram too much and go, 
just, what, are you, what are you asking? God already promised this. Not only that, in two chapters, he's going to, you know. Because here's this one who has been walking in obedience to some level. He's just been victorious. Almighty God gave him victory over those kings. A blessing was called upon him by Melchizedek. He's been declared, yes, the Lord's with you, the Lord's with you, the Lord's with you. And his response is, what are you going to give me? I don't have what you promised. Now remember, at this, at this time, it was kind of a, an understanding that barrenness was divine judgment, that God had not allowed him to be a father and not allowed Sarah to be a mother. And so, can you not understand the great confusion in this man's mind and heart? Let me put it like this. What if today I said, hey, um... I'm going to give you $100. And then we both left. And he came back the next Sunday, and you're like, Dan said he's giving me 100 bucks this Sunday. I don't, I don't give you any money. <clears throat> and then we come the next Sunday. Oh, I, he, I, I'm sure he said two weeks. I, I thought he said two weeks. And he come back, I don't give you anything. Then you go back, and then we come back the next Sunday, you're like, this is three weeks. He's a young guy. His memory's not that bad. He should have the money. You come back, no money. What are you going to give me? You said you're going to give me a hundred bucks. I never ever told you when. Why would God be holding out for such a long amount of time to fulfill and satisfy the promise he made to Abram? Because he loves Abram. He's working in Abram. Beloved, don't ever miss this principle. You know it. God is doing his finest work in us during the waiting, not during the doing. And so, Abram, walk in obedience. Difficult times, yes, but still walk in obedience. Circumstances seem to contradict God's word at times. What I mean by that when I say contradict is you look around at your, and here's the key word, perceived circumstances, and you say, where's God's promise? Where's his promise? I still have no children. Sarah can't bear children. And each and every day, all I get is older, with no potential of ever being a father. And so, when God comes to him and he says, what are you going to give to me? I am not of the persuasion here that Abraham is complaining about God, but rather complaining at God. There's a difference here. One is saying, God, you're in error. Another one is saying, God, I'm in error and struggling and help. And let me say, I think God is absolutely fully capable to handle any venting you want to give him. I don't think the Lord is taken off guard as if, wow, you sure are, whatever. I think that when we come to God with a full heart and a heavy mind and we pour our heart out to him, beloved, that's called prayer. And not only that, he says, cast all your prayers upon him. He cares for you. So when Abram says, what are you going to give me? I really, truly don't believe this is Abram saying, God, you're in error, but rather, I'm really struggling right now. Because I'm seeking to walk in obedience. I didn't take a thing off a king of the king of Sodom, but I remain childless. And Eliezer of Damascus, most likely the, the steward of the house, it will be left to him. 
your translation may say household. The concept is not his children or family member, but more than likely a, a servant within his home is who his goods will be left to. Common practice at, at that time. What reward will you give me? At times, God's promises and God's providences may appear to be at odds. At times, when we think we're perceiving correctly, we say, this sure doesn't look like God's will. I've heard believers say that. I've heard believers say that this last year. Make the statement, sure doesn't look like God's in control. I don't believe God's sovereign. Well, let me just get a paradigm shift here for just a sec. That moment, as the apostles saw the blood of Jesus burst from his wrists as they put those spikes in him, everybody could say, sure doesn't look like God's will. And yet it was the will of the Father to crush the Son. So let us be very, very careful, beloved, when we start thinking with our perceived understanding that we know what God's will is and what he's accomplishing. It's amazing how in my mind and heart, my emotional location of how I'm doing can dictate whether things are true or not true. If I'm happy, God's on his throne. I'm sad he's not. Are you kidding me? He is the sovereign one who reigns supreme. And the promise he made to Abram is not in any danger. He has a perfect plan. He's on his way to his plan. But the waiting is very, very difficult. Up to this point, he remains childless. Abram is expressing his heart to God. No child has been given. This time is considered divine judgment, potentially, by, maybe by Abram, but by those around him. Why hasn't God given you children? You told us he promised you children, but you don't have any children. Abram is truly confused, and I can't blame him. I don't blame him. If I did, that would be me standing on a platform I'm not really standing on because I find myself confused at times going, Lord, I know you're in control and you have a plan here. I'm really struggling with how this one fits. I'm really wrestling with how this fits into your plan. How is this your plan? Look, look down at the text with me. <clears throat> Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So important, beloved. God's word in those times of incredible confusion, distraction, irritation, and lack of trust in God, God's word comes to you. Don't miss it. Don't miss that. Don't let it pass too quickly. Because I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what kind of struggle you had this week. And I don't know, and you don't know, what you may step into this week. I don't know what kind of news you might hear, what kind of sadness may reach your soul this week. But in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his lack of trust, we ask the question, what does he need? He needs the word of the living God. 
He needs God's Word to give him sweet refreshment. He needs God's Word to give him a true perspective on that which is. To grant peace, to grant him to be settled. That's no different than you and me. Now, I may not catch it in a vision. I may not hear an audible voice. But I have the inerrant, inspired, holy word of the living God. I've got a bunch of copies. At home, my office, on my phone. Spoiled rotten to get the word of God. So in the midst of those times, what's needed? What is needed is the word of God to rush into that situation. And so in the midst of Abraham's discouragement and questioning, where's the promise, Lord? Where is your promise? Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And this is what I love. Because the word is the same word that came to him in chapter 12. God has not changed. The promise has not changed. There is nothing different. But by his grace, he reminds Abram of the truth. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir, your very own son. A literal translation would be uh, a son from your bowels, a son from your body. He's, He's getting very direct with this guy. Your son, your biological son, is what, I'm, is what the Lord's getting at to Abram. A son from you will be the one. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he takes him outside. How he takes him outside in a vision, you tell me. Send me an email. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven And number the stars if you are able to number them. God takes him outside and he's doing exactly what he did before when he said, look at the dust. And he says here, look at the stars. Later he's going to say, look at the sand on the seashore. Getting this across the same point. Abram, Abram, stop, man, come here. It's kind of like the Lord taking his hands and putting him on his face and pulling him in close. Abram, hold on a second. I know you're confused. I know you're struggling. I know. Stop. My word has not changed a bit. Look at the stars. Count them. You see those stars? Remember the dust? My promise will remain. My promise is just as strong, just as powerful as it always has been. Beloved, let me remind you of something. God is not a fortune teller who's looking out at something and he's saying, this looks like it's going to happen. Maybe. God is declaring that which is before it is. God is telling Abram, I'm not guessing, I'm not giving wishful thinking, I'm not saying, it'll pan out okay. God is declaring, this is what is. Think about that. If if, um, I spend a lot of time seeking to bring comfort to people, you probably do too, in all the different avenues of ministry that you, that you walk in. And as you seek to comfort them, don't you at times, guys, find it hard to get the words that would actually give real comfort? And I mean that, real comfort, not um, some of the silly things you, we hear that are confusing and just distracting, like, you know, the Lord needed another angel in heaven, so he took your angel. And some of these things that are just awful, don't say those things. But to have real comfort of reality 
truly grips the soul and strengthens and brings fresh encouragement to that person. Well, who could do that better than the one who's omniscient? And to actually tell Abram, no, I'm telling you, this is exactly what will be. Not some feeble man's words saying, I hope it turns out okay. No, the living God says, this is what it will be. I want you to go out and I want you to count the stars. You won't be able to count them, but as you count them, you'll find an overwhelming feeling in your heart and mind that my promise has not changed one bit and we are on the track there. But Abram, right now, I'm not giving it to you. Now, that's, this is where the rub comes, right? When God's word comes and it tells us something, we see it very clear. We go, I understand it. I know what it's saying. But I have not experienced it yet. And I'm promised I will experience it. But not yet. And so for this moment, I rest in faith and hope in the promise of God. Now, look, look down there with me. It says, Toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believe the Lord. God is not guessing or taking his best shot. He is declaring that which will be. The sovereign king who works all things after the counsel of his will has told Abraham what will be. No circumstance is thrown off God's promise. No circumstance is thrown off God's promise. Things are continuing to move towards the promise. And I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He said, Gifts of common providence are not comparable to those of covenant love. Gifts of common providence are not even comparable to that of covenant love. Those things that the king of Sodom could have given to Abram don't come close to that which he knew would be coming from the Lord. And as God made this problem or this promise to Abram, Abram's response was, you're right. I mean, I'm trying to break it down to as simple as we can, but what Abram is saying back to God is, yeah, you're right. God, you just said what's going to happen. I think what you said is going to happen is going to happen. I'm in. Uh, It comes from the same root that we get the word amen from. So in a sense, what Abram is saying and his belief, that word believe, is amen to that. I'm in agreement with that. I could, I, I'm with you on this. I believe this. I have faith in what you have stated, God. And it's beautiful, beloved, that as, as he's down in the dumps and struggling, don't you see God's gracious, sovereign care, and yet personal care, come to Abram, reiterate the truth of the promise to him, build him up, give fresh encouragement to him, and his response is, yeah, absolutely, I believe you. And by this faith, it's counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is uh, one of those massive verses that 
you will see throughout your New Testament and used through the rest of the Bible. And the concept is all over every page of the Word of God that justification is by faith and by faith alone. Abraham was not justified by works. This is, uh, if you want to spend some time looking around in Romans chapter 4, I encourage you to Romans chapter 4 and the entire book of Galatians. As you read those and study those, you will see he, he, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, consistently brings up Abram and says, let me remind you, your father Abraham, as he's speaking to the Jews, your father Abraham was never justified by works of the law. Remember, at that time, when the Apostle Paul's battling against them, they're arguing that you must be circumcised, you must follow the law, you must be walking in obedience to the law. Well, who's your father? Father Abraham. Your father was justified before circumcision. Your father was justified before the law. Your father was justified by faith, not by works of the law. And he, he's, So much ink is spent in the New Testament to make this precise point. So, beloved, verse 6 is just a massive Massive text. And yet you can pass it so fast. God made his promise. Abram says, okay, and it's counted him as righteousness. And, and yet, let me, let me just take you to the New Testament for a little bit, okay? We've got a couple more hours, so turn with me to uh, Romans real quick. Actually, I have one minute, so track with me. I'll go over just a little bit, unlike, well, no, just like every week. Um, Romans chapter 4. Kind of jumping in the middle of the Apostle Paul's argumentation here, verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And I'll just give you the passages because of being out of time. Um, Galatians 3, 7 and James 2, 23, both bringing out this exact same text to point justification by faith alone. Just a quick note on the James text. In James, the argument there is that um, some folks will rush to that text and say, see, we're justified by works. James says it. So we're pleased God by works. And then you have some folks who say, no, we're justified by faith and by works. Um, I, I don't agree with either. Uh, just giving you my theological perspective is that we're justified by faith that works. What I mean by that is that what James says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You want to see real faith? I'll show you the faith. And how do you know it's real faith? Because it's real faith that does something. It's real faith that changes. It's real faith that works. It's real faith that produces changes in us. That's true faith. Well, Abraham is acting on his faith, is he not? As he continually... I'm not saying without struggles, I'm not saying without mistakes, but I'm saying there is a continual walking of obedience, the direction Abraham is going. So let me land the plane and skip a few notes. Um, guys, as I read this passage and, and looked at it carefully, very carefully, 
what I see so strong coming off the passage, uh, this is the Abrahamic covenant. It's a very pivotal text, and we're going to spend some more time next week. But for this morning, guys, there are times you will find yourself so depressed and so struggling because you're struggling in belief in the promise of God. Our perceived circumstances at time can become so crushing, we start to say, Lord, are you there? And are you still doing what you promised you'd be doing? My encouragement is that is the moment where, behold, the word of the Lord rushes in that moment. And we freshly hear God speak to us from his word. Of course, of course. So if you would, last passage, turn with me to Mark 13. It might catch you off guard a little bit that this is where I'm landing, but Mark chapter 13. I want to remind you of a promise this morning and then close in prayer. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, that obviously begs for more instruction, but I will stop there and just say, beloved, his promise of his return by no means has changed whatsoever. There is no set of circumstances that will stop that. We still, much as Abraham was still waiting for that promise, we still await the return of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that the promise of the Word of God as it comes to you today brings refreshment and encouragement. His promise hasn't changed. Stay awake and look for it.